Okay, if you want to have a little look at the back of your service sheet, we've got a few verses for us to look at. Um, it's part of our series going through the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read together from Deuteronomy 5, starting to, together at verse 12. We're into the fourth commandment in our ten-week series. Okay, so let's read this together. It says this. This is God's word. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, fourth commandment. Uh, we're going to look at it under three basic headings. First of all, we're going to look at the Old Testament code. We're going to look at what the, the Sabbath means. Secondly, then we're going to look at the, the New Testament understanding of Sabbath. And thirdly and finally, we're going to ask, what does this mean for us today? Okay, so what is the command? How should we understand the command? And how does the command work for us? They're the three things we're going to be looking at. It's pretty much the same every week, folks. Sorry to um, uh, let you in on a trade secret. But, you know, we just want to spend these 10 weeks really getting into the significant um, summary statement of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, because they are significant. They are foundational, just, not just for our understanding of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus and his ministry, but for all of, you know, uh, culture that has been built on a sort of Western, let's say, um, Judeo-Christian heritage um, is based on these fundamental um, teachings from the old Hebrew law code. So that means there's lots of good reasons why we should examine that today. But also, you know, um, as I hope you've been seeing as we've been going on, uh, these, these commandments are not just old, dusty old things that we kind of memorize maybe when we were at Sunday school or, or something as kids, but they have bite and they have relevance uh, for us today as a church, as a group of people, but also as individuals. Um, so let's just spend some time this morning thinking about this, this one here, Sabbath rest. Uh, the commandment begins, you can look at the verses as we go, in verse 12 it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Don't forget, this is not the first time the Ten Commandments come up in the Bible. We've already uh, been, been uh, given them, let's say, in, in Exodus chapter 20. This is the second reading in Deuteronomy. Um, what's happened in between? The people of Israel have been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. The first generation that came out of slavery in Egypt rebelled against God. They turned their hearts against him. They disobeyed him. And so... God let them wander around in the wilderness until that generation died. And then it's their children that get to inherit and come into the promised land. And so that's why we have this second reading of the law just before they come into the promised land is a reminder of what that second generation should have been taught already from their parents um, and yet possibly need a bit of a refresher. So that's what we're seeing here. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And he says here, this is a bit of detail on what that should look like for them. In verse 13, for six days uh, you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not honor it, you shall not do any work. Sabbath, the word Sabbath literally means to cease, to, to stop, 
to put down your tools, whatever you were doing for the first six days of the week, and stop it. One in seven days are to be like that, says God. And he believes so much in the importance of that that he not only puts it in the Ten Commandments, but he repeats it time and again through Moses and through the prophets. Obey my Sabbath, obey my Sabbath, keep my Sabbath, observe my Sabbath. You see it so many times. It's important. Is the Sabbath rest just for the privileged few who can afford to take a day off? Absolutely not. Look, it says, uh, you shall not do any work, uh, nor your son or your daughter, so younger generation, uh, nor your male servant, nor female servant. Okay, so hired staff or whatever way you want to put that. But not only people within your sort of um, family circle, so to speak, in, in, your, in your staff, but also your ox and your donkey and your livestock. They're to rest as well every seven days. Because, you know, in God's eyes, animals are significant as well. It's, the, it's not just that it's all the focus on humanity, although that is, uh, you know, important, very important to God. Um, but the livestock, the animals need rest. They're not machines made out of metal and plastic. They're living, breathing beings. They deserve rest as well. And not only them, not only those within Israel, but it says, neither shall the sojourner or the visitor or the foreigner, they shall not do any work when they are residing in your community as well. These are resident aliens, people from a different culture, from a different country or tribe, living among and with uh, the people of Israel. They are not to work either. In short, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day of rest, was to be a rest for everybody in society, the old and the young, the privileged, the workers, you know, even the animals, and the land itself, by implication, was to have rest on the seventh day. No tools, no work, whatever you do, stop it. God doesn't just give a blank statement or a blank command and expect his people to sort of click their heels and follow on without thinking. He says, look, this, there's a reason for this. He says, look, in verse 15, here's your motivation. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You were a slave. You were a slave. And God rescued you. He freed you from your slavery. And so you rest because you are freed. You're no longer a slave to work. No one is to be a slave to work in the community I'm setting up, says God. This is all about justice. No one is to work one day in seven. And this would strike a chord in the, in the mind and the collective heart of the people of Israel. Uh, way back at the beginning of, of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, it tells us before God uh, released them from slavery, um, it gives us a, a picture of what life was like for the Israelites when they were in Egypt. And it says that they were ruthlessly made, uh, so the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and bricks and all kinds of work in the fields. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. How long were they in that situation? About 400 years. They knew what it felt like to be a slave. Do slaves get time off? Nope. We saw last week, didn't we, during Freedom Sunday, those boys who get trafficked to work on the Lake Volta, do they get a day off? No, they do not. They're slaves. Do the sex workers that are trafficked into the brothels of Manila, do they get a day off to rest and recharge? Of course they don't. Slaves, you see, don't get to stop. But God 
has freed his people from the tyranny of work, from being trapped in work. He says, I have freed you. I have brought you into rest. Everyone in the society that I am creating shall rest, shall enjoy rest, whether they are insiders, outsiders, whether they are family or employees, animals or land, everyone gets a rest. Because you see, their rest points to God's redemption. Points to God's redemption. What does it mean? What does it mean when we take a rest from work? When we rest from work, when, we, when people obey the Sabbath code, what, what we are saying is work is good, but it is not God. Work is good, but it is not ultimate in our lives. It is not the ruling power. And, and, and hopefully we'll start to see this morning um, as we go on that that is, that is very radical in today's society, in today's 24-7, seven days a week uh, life and living and lifestyle. I read, I read a blog uh, by a woman who I think is from a Scandinavian background from Sweden uh, on lifehack.com. Um, which is quite an interesting website. And she wrote a post about how she was brought up in a very tight religious upbringing where the sort of the Sabbath code, if you like, the seventh day rest was, was, was forced upon her as a child and it was a terrible day and she hated it because she couldn't watch TV and, and enjoy herself. And so when she left home and she became a student, uh, she, she eventually turned out to be a journalist. Uh, but when she went to study, she thought, ah, away with that, away with those uh, trappings. I'm just going to live as I want. I'm going to work. I'm going to push through, you know, um, Rest is for the weak. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to push on. And so she did. And so she basically lived a seven-day-a-week life. Didn't stop. And, and that carried forward into her professional life as a journalist. And, and of course, uh, at, at the start, you can gain an advantage over your competitors, over your fellow journalists, because they're taking a day off, perhaps, some of them. And, you, and you're working real hard, and you're getting it uh, before, the, before the deadlines, and you're pushing on. And that, that went on for about five years um, from when she left home. But she goes on to say in this blog post that, that eventually, eventually, her body started grinding to a halt. She burned out, effectively. Uh, she was so sunk in anxiety and depression that she had to take months off of work to recover from living at that pace for so long. She was trapped. She was drained Work controlled her. She was a slave to work. And when you type in day of rest onto Google, suddenly there's tens of thousands of pages and entries about why taking a day of rest is good for your health and good for your mental well-being and good for your productivity. Generally speaking, it is a good thing to take a day off every week, at least. But in our culture, of course, in our society, especially um, in our sort of professional society, there are so many people, maybe you are one of them, there are so many people who are driven, who are enslaved to work, who are working for a master that they just cannot get away from. They are trapped somehow, as a, as a rat race is described as. You know, this competitive nature, maybe you have a competitive nature. For some people, they work hard and they work uh, in, in, you know, um, incessantly for financial gain. Some people, they are driven because of uh, you know, desire academic or professional credentials, and so they work, 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 nose to the grindstone. For some people, their work is their identity and their significance, and they need to be successful, so therefore they, are work, they work, they are driven. But the Sabbath commandments, the Sabbath code, says that that is not how life is intended 
by God. That's not what he wants for you. Of course, the Old Testament has more to say on Sabbath than what we read here in this, in this commandment. It's like the, the headline. Um, it's more than just a day off per week, although that's important. Sabbath means more than just a one day off per week. There's a yearly Sabbath, a yearly Sabbath, plural, that, that Israel enjoyed. The Day of Atonement was the most special Sabbath every year. The Day of Rest is when uh, a goat or two goats were taken. One, one uh, was sacrificed for the sins of the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement. One was, uh, took away the people's guilt and they cast it out of the side of the, the, the city and away it went. <clears throat> That's what happened on the Day of Atonement. And that day is described as a Sabbath. By God. Not only a yearly Sabbath, but every seven years there was a Sabbath year. What happened on that Sabbath year? There was a release of slaves. You know, under the Old Testament law code, if you were a poor Israelite, if you were down on your luck, so to speak, you could sell yourself. You could sell yourself in terms of work and labor to a fellow Israelite for a period of years in order to pay off your debt. But every seven years, whether you were a slave or not, you, you, were, you were released from that slavery, whether you'd been a slave for five years or two years or six months, you were released. That's what happened every seven years. And on that seventh year, there was no planting, there was no harvesting for the entire year. Only the poor were allowed to enter the fields to gather uh, grain and gather food for themselves. You see, it's more than just about personal physical rest once every seven days. It's about justice for the poor. It's about making sure there's no endless spirals of poverty. And even more than that, you've got a Sabbath every year, you've got a Sabbath every seven years, and there's a real special Sabbath, the Sabbath of Sabbath years, every 49 years, seven times seven, called the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, happened once a generation, every piece of property, every piece of land that was ever sold over the last 49 years was returned back to the original tribes from where it came. Borrowing was restricted, debt was minimized, freedom and justice was wired into the society that God was building through his people. So young and old, native or foreigner, animals and land can taste the freedom that God intended for them to have. That's what Sabbath is all about. It is broad and it is deep. And this distinguishes God's people from the relentless work <clears throat> and the slavery of the surrounding nations. God's people practice Sabbath, and when they do that, they say work is good, but it is not God. Only Yahweh is God. They've been won from slavery to enjoy God's rest. We are saying when we rest, when we, when we do Sabbath, when we practice Sabbath, in God we trust, not in work, not in money that comes from work. In God I trust. I can enjoy a day off per week, completely free of work because I know that God has got me. He is my creator. He is my redeemer. He is just and I have been created and called to enter into his rest. And so we can start to see why there are multiple commands throughout the Old Testament. Obey my Sabbath. Obey my Sabbath. Obey my Sabbath. You know, when Moses was up the mountain and God had given the entire law code to him over a period of 40 days and 40 nights, the last thing that God says Above all things, quote, in Exodus 31, make sure my people obey my Sabbaths. Because it represented so much of God and who he is and what he's done for them. So when you enter the land, observe the Sabbath. And we've seen a little bit about the significance of that in the Old Testament. 
But now we need to start thinking, in order to understand what we do in response to the Old Testament teaching, um, we have to think about how the New Testament understands Sabbath, okay? Because we can sometimes be tempted uh, to jump straight from the Old Testament to today, to now, to us. But as responsible Bible readers, uh, as a community that, that takes seriously the word of God, we must ask ourselves, firstly, how does the New Testament understand all that stuff in the Old Testament about the Sabbath? How did Jesus understand the Sabbath? How did the apostles understand the Sabbath? What did the early church do with the Sabbath? You see, when it comes to us um, reading and, 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 and taking uh, principles from the Old Testament, it is not a straight line between us and the Old Testament. It's a dotted line. When, when it comes to God and what we can learn about God in the Old Testament, it is a straight line. Uh, God is God, no matter what year or uh, if it's in the Old Testament scriptures or in the New Testament scriptures, God is God. He's the same God. So everything we read about God in the Old Testament completely applies and he is the same today for us now, right? But when it comes to principles and practices of Israel and what God said to Israel, it's a dotted line. Some things apply to us, some things do not. It's, it's, it's not a straightforward thing. So we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus say about the Sabbath and what did the apostles say about the Sabbath. Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, um, addressed the question of what are Christians to do with the Old Testament rituals and celebrations and Sabbaths. And he responded directly in Colossians 2. And I'm going to bring up the verse just now because I want us to read it together. How are Christians to respond to the Old Testament rituals, celebrations and Sabbaths? Let's read this out loud because it's really important. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What Paul is saying is that the Old Testament practices of the people of Israel are a shadow. They, they point forward. They prepare Israel for something greater, for, for someone greater. That is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the substance of Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, look, there's this remarkable section in Matthew chapter 11. Um, Jesus is praying, but he's praying one of these prayers out loud so that his disciples can hear him and they can learn how to pray from him. And he prays before God and he says, he says all things, uh, here it is, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and to those the Son chooses to reveal to him. Awesome. All things belong to Jesus, right? He is the Lord of all. He is the King of all. He's been handed all things from the Father. Awesome. But then he goes on to say this. In fact, it's up on the screen as well. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is saying right here, come to me. Come into a relationship with me. Come and know me. Come and receive me. And when you do that, you will receive rest. Knowing me is rest. Knowing me is rest for your souls. I'm not a slave driver. I am lowly of heart. I am humble. Come to me and you'll have peace. Come to me and you'll receive life and rest. 
I am your Sabbath. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says Sabbath belongs to Jesus, or points to Jesus. Jesus says, come, I will give you rest. I am your rest. I am your Sabbath. And that, of course, then takes us to the gospel, the good news. Because in the gospel of Jesus, we find true rest. We find ultimate rest. We find in Jesus true end to our slavery to work. Because, you see, on the cross, Jesus wasn't just hanging there passively. On the cross, Jesus was working. He was working for your freedom. He was delivering you from slavery. He was delivering you from sin and from death and from the devil. And he did that through giving himself in your place to take on the slave drivers in your life that you cannot overcome in your own strength. Jesus went to the cross and he worked through the agony and the pain and the wrath of God on your behalf. That's what he was doing. He wasn't just punching in time waiting for this all to be over. Jesus was literally going through hell so that you can be free. And he rose on the third day to declare, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me, all who labor, and I'll give you rest. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says that we enter that great rest of God. How do we do it? Through believing in the gospel of Jesus. That's how we enter God's Sabbath rest. That means that in the gospel, there is rest for your soul. You no longer need to be a slave to anything, let alone a slave to work. Come to me and find rest. You know, if you are a slave to work because you need your work for your affirmation, because you need people to speak well of you, because you are such a hard worker and such a, a productive worker, if that's you and it drives you to be a slave to work and it drives you to be a slave to study, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, when you see what he <clears throat> really did for you, how much significance that you have in his eyes that he would lay down his life for you, when you get that, working for you no longer becomes a thing that you do to get your ultimate affirmation. Because when you understand Jesus and that he worked himself to death for you, then you know that you do not need to prove yourself to God or anyone else for that matter. God is the only one whose opinion really matters in life, ultimately. But because of Jesus, you are completely affirmed. You are completely free. And so it frees you from the tyranny of work. Maybe, maybe you are a slave to work because your identity is in your work. Maybe your identity hangs on your success and your progress and somehow or other you, you've caught up and you're a slave to work. And so when you see the gospel, when you see Jesus, when you take him into your heart by faith, you see that your new identity is based on Christ, it's his performance, it's his perfection, then you can say, no amount of work is going to bring me perfection. Nothing I can do will bring me unparalleled performance. Jesus is impeccable. He is flawless. He is my identity. Maybe you work hard and you are addicted to work because you need influence and power in your life. But when you look at the gospel 
and you see who Jesus is and that he is the son of God and he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings and yet he gave himself to serve his people. He laid his life down. Then you will see how real power works in the kingdom of God. Not by pushing yourself forward and gaining influence, but real power and influence in the kingdom of God come from servant-hearted love, humility, laying your life down, giving your power for the sake of other people. And when you understand that, that releases you from slavery to work. So how are we to practice the Sabbath today? Maybe this is the question that's on your mind when you read the fourth commandment and it says, obey the Sabbath. Well, we've seen how Sabbath is about God. It it reminds us about his redemption of his people, no longer slaves. But we've seen how in the New Testament's eye, Sabbath is truly and ultimately found in Jesus Christ, resting in him by faith. So we practice Sabbath as a people, as a church, when we find our rest in Christ. When we answer his invitation, come to me. When we say, yes, I come, that's when we find rest. Anytime we enjoy Jesus, anytime we demonstrate Jesus, anytime we anticipate what Jesus will do in the future when he comes again, we are entering into his rest. We are reminding ourselves and one another and the world, work is not my God, Jesus is Lord. So there's two elements I want to just bring before you practically about how we today can apply and practice Sabbath. Worship and rest. Simple as that. Worship and rest. First element, worship. It happens every time we gather together as a community. Not just on Sundays, but chiefly on Sundays, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus climbed out of the grave alive forevermore. That's why Christians meet on a Sunday and not on a Saturday, which is the the Jewish Sabbath. But when we worship, we are reminding ourselves personally and one another what really matters in life, what Jesus has really done for us and how we really benefit from his work on our behalf. That's what happens when we gather and we sing our songs and we, re- we pray our prayers and we read the Bible. We're worshipping God. See, Sundays, folks, are not, shouldn't be, for you, a case of have to go, like it's some sort of routine or ritual that you've had drummed into you from very early on. you just got to go because otherwise you feel bad and guilty. No, no, no. That's not the rest that God intended for you when we come together and worship him as a people. Sundays are a case of not of have to, but of get to. You get to enjoy the freedom of God as we come together as his people. And there is great power, isn't there, when we come together as his people, when we declare that Jesus is our creator, Jesus is our redeemer, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, Jesus is our rest. There is great power because we are affirming this together. There is a greater power than you affirming it on your own at home. It does work and that's great, praise be to God. But there is great power and significance when we come together and enjoy him as a community. There are other people around you singing and speaking and declaring these great central truths into your soul. And so if you miss church, folks, then you miss resting in Jesus in this very special and powerful way. You need this. Your soul needs this. I need this. The writer of Hebrews that we thought about a few moments ago 
also says this in that same passage, saying that God is our rest in Jesus, says, exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is he saying? He's saying we have to push into God's rest in Christ daily. And that is not something you can do on your own. You need other people to push you into the love of God in Christ, the rest of God in Christ. He says, you know, the deceitfulness of sin, your heart, my heart is on the slide every day, on the slide, away from God. We need the Christian community. We need one another to help round each other up and push each other and drag each other and and, and guide each other back into the rest of God in Jesus Christ. We prioritize our Sunday gatherings above all things. We're nourished by our gatherings. We enjoy our gatherings. That's why I labor so hard through the week so that you can hear Jesus and have your heart stirred by him. You can enjoy the rest that he brings. But of course, worship does not remain linked only to Sunday It extends beyond to every day of the week, exhorting, encouraging, pointing one another to Jesus. This is what we do as a community on mission, whether it is in our foundation community groups, which are starting up in a few weeks, whether it is in our community Bible reading groups, encouraging one another daily, whether it is in formal hookups and hangouts, we are speaking the truth of Jesus and his rest and his work into each other's hearts because your heart needs it. It's going to slide if you don't. So the first element to practicing Sabbath is worship God. And we do that chiefly, but not only on a Sunday. Second element, rest. Rest. We can't get away from the fact that Sabbath means cease. Cease your work. Put down your tools. And so we honor the Sabbath code and we we demonstrate it by ceasing work for one full day per week. Because it is good for you. That's what Sabbath means. Whether you are a full-time employed, part-time employed, whether you are retired or unemployed, there should be one day in seven that looks very different to the other six days, no matter what your ordinary routine is and what you do day to day. There is no explicit link in the Bible between the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sunday. And yet, ceasing from work, And combining that with worship on a Sunday seems to be the best practical, historically affirmed way of honoring the Sabbath code. And let me say, 95% of us sitting in this room, that is the case for you. Rest and worship can come together on a Sunday. Give that day to God and enjoying him and resting. Because as we were thinking earlier on in the sermon Rest is truly revolutionary in our 24-7 modern culture. It is a revolutionary act. We are saying Jesus is Lord, not my work, not the money that comes from work. Work is good, but it is not God. That's what we are saying when we rest. We're saying in God I trust, in God I will rest because he will provide for me. The world doesn't do that. The world's trying to get ahead and earn more and acquire more stuff. But our God is God, right? Worship, rest. That is how we practice Sabbath. 
So enjoy Jesus as a church. Enjoy him within your families, whatever uh, your family situation and stage is. Do whatever it takes for you to be refreshed in body and soul. And look, it's going to be different. Let's be fair. It's going to be different for everybody. So I'm not going to stand here and give you 10 things that you must do or not do on a Sunday because I can't be prescriptive. But do whatever it takes for you to draw near and be refreshed and filled by Jesus and his work for you. Maybe I can be a little more practical just before we close out. Maybe for you, there is too much noise in your life. Your life is incredibly full. There is too much busyness in your life. So you have to think to yourself, what must I say no to so that I can say yes to Jesus and more of him? What do you have to say no to to say yes to Jesus and more of him? And conversely, what must you do or take up, or start doing to enjoy Jesus more, to commune with him. And let me just give you a little hint for a starter. The Bible tells us that we commune with Jesus through his word, through the sacrament, through prayer, through worship. That's how Jesus makes himself available and comes to you. So if you're not engaging with his word, or you know, taking the bread and wine, or if you're not praying regularly or worshiping God regularly, then how can you expect to come and enter and enjoy and go deeper into the rest of Jesus? So we've seen the Old Testament law code, the New Testament understanding, and how we practice through worship and rest. Let's stand and pray together as we close out. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you that through him we understand your call and your provision for rest Father, we thank you that Jesus is our rest because he worked for us to free us from slavery to sin and death and the devil and everything that traps us. Freedom in Jesus. Father, I thank you that that is a free gift flowing from your loving heart to us that we can just take by faith and trust in Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help us to do that. Help us to do that right now, to receive that gift of Jesus with open hearts and open hands, whether for the first time or a refreshing, enlarging, deepening sense and reception of that gift, Lord. Father God, forgive us for crowding our lives and accepting too much into our lives that drowns out your, your word and what Jesus has done. Help us to think by the power of your Holy Spirit, what must we say no to, to say yes to Jesus? And what can we do to receive more of you through your means of grace? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the bread and wine. We thank you for worship. And we enjoy all those things just now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.